In this episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with Kim Moody, CEO of Moody Private Client and Moody Tax, to talk about if you should incorporate your business or not. You know, if you're not going to be all that profitable, then maybe you shouldn't have carrying costs for a corporation. Tax policies and entrepreneurship. You know, the tax rates, the tax policies, all try to encourage entrepreneurship. And why he chose tax as a career. Uh, because tax is very complicated. That um, is fascinating, but so make sure to tune in and catch all this and more, and start living more of your life now. That is the voice of Kim Moody of Moody's Tax and Moody's Private Client. Now, Kim Moody is a accountant by trade, but takes significant pride in building a full service tax law, estate, trust, corporate business minded environment for entrepreneurs in Calgary, Alberta. In this episode, we cover many different things from you know his uh, you know advice on tax, uh, holding companies, when is it right to have an operating company? What do you do with extra money and what are the tax implications? Right down to what he does to keep his business humming while he's not there. That's a significant part of our coaching in, in getting people to see their business as something that doesn't need them to be there to exist. And if you can get to that point, that provides a great opportunity when you sell your business to get more and also provides a better lifestyle while you're running it now. So let's get to it. I'm excited today to have Kim Moody on the show today to talk about tax. And you know, before you sign off and, and think that that's uh, boring, let me give you another consideration. Uh, if you can save tax now and then sell your business or, or when you sell your business, You've got money in your pocket to spend, save, and invest on the things you want. You know, maybe lifestyle things, donation things, experiences with your family, and all of those, in my mind, lead to higher happiness. And uh, now, you know, I'm, you know, now I'm, a, I'm a little more interested. So, welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks very much. So, quick side story. Uh, thank you for one for tipping me off to your suit guy. Uh, and I felt bad letting him uh, know that I'm probably not his next sale because I haven't worn a suit in about four years. But uh, I must say that your suits are uh, classy, distinct, and inspiring uh, me to get back into the suit game. And so <laughs> fill me in on how, how the suits uh, and, the, and the great outfits came about. You know, it's, uh, it's not too exciting of a story, but I, <laughs> I'd say about probably a dozen years ago, I just got tired of black suit gray suit, brown suit, brown shoes, black shoes, you know, <laughs> and my profession being accounting and tax is notoriously conservative. You show up in a black suit and tie, and, you know, one day I, uh, uh, just wore a bright tie cause I, I found this bright color tie. And so I wore it and I got a lot of compliments and I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And so I kind of experimented with ties and then fast forward a few years later and I, I needed some new glasses. And so I, uh, I, uh, you know, looked at this particular uh, set of glasses, which actually is the one I'm wearing today, which is blue. And I thought, I like that. And I'm going to try it. And my wife didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> what so is anyhow, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I'll tell you the compliments I got on my blue tie were, were or sorry, my blue uh, glasses were. And it's not that I'm looking for compliments. I'm just look. I don't want to be, you know two out of step. And so, but, you know, I got some decent feedback. So I thought, okay. And then one day my suit guy, uh, who you obviously got introduced to, uh, you know, said, I think you should look at some brighter colors. And so I thought, eh, why not? 
And so I experimented with a bright blue jacket. And, right. and, and you know, it just went from there because I got a lot of uh, feedback from even my family. It's like, hey, that's pretty cool. And it's not, you know, it's not the typical accountant. And I didn't want to be known as the typical accountant in any event because I, I, I don't think I am. And yeah. so it just went from there. And I really, I really like it because I get up in the morning and color is so amazing to me. I love it. And uh, it's just refreshing and something different. So, so that's the long story. Well, it's a, it, 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 it all fits. And, and maybe there's some subliminal, you know, thing that was built into you a long time ago, but your brand, you know, people can't see, but it, the walls in your office have color in them. And uh, yeah, I, my side story is when I first got into the business, I went and interviewed a, a family friend who's at Raymond James. And, uh, you know, I went in there as a 20 year old. Puka shell necklace, white, uh, with a salmon-colored shirt, and uh, you know he looked at me and said, "Listen, kid, if you want to get somewhere in life, you need seventy-two white shirts. You need five <laughs> black suits." And he goes, "You see this shirt?" You know, and he says, "This is. I don't have to make a decision, but this is what people trust." And he said, "You see this picture of a sailboat?" And it was like a pastel sailboat, you know, classic stockbroker uh, thing. And I, I never forget that. Uh, but I always. Never wanted a white shirt uh, and and sort of that everyday life. So thank you for getting me back uh, inspired <laughs> by the colors. The second sort of question I, I have, and you know, you and I've you know we've known each other for a long time, but uh, you know, you're successful, you're you know financially sound, uh, and and you could live probably anywhere you want. Can you give me the the passion and the connection to Calgary? Because that's where your your main office is. What what is the draw to keep you in Calgary, and and what why has that been such a great place for you? You know, Calgary is uh, you know there's certainly better places to live weather wise. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, Calgary's known for its its crazy weather. Uh, you know, given that we're right up against the mountains, and and we can have a Chinook one day, and you know, warm weather, and then uh, the next day we'll have two feet of snow you know, during the winter. So it's that that's not the reason why I'm here. I'm here mainly because when I got attracted to Calgary for its entrepreneurial spirit, it's high energy. Um, and I don't mean oil and gas. I just mean, you know, the passion and the youth and, and, you know, the history of entrepreneurship in, in Calgary is, is extraordinary. And in my view, it's, it, it's probably the most, well, I'll, I'll say it emphatically. It's the most entrepreneurial city in, in Canada by far. Yeah. If you want to start a business, don't start it in Toronto. Uh, mm. uh, you start it in Calgary because there's a whole bunch of like-minded entrepreneurs that are here. If you want to start a publicly traded company, yeah, start it in Toronto. Um, but because that's the center of the universe for financial services, but in, in capital markets, but at least in Canada. But for entrepreneurship. You know, the education levels, the uh, can-do attitude, you know, the tax rates, the tax policies, all try to encourage entrepreneurship. And even though we've had a, a rough go in the oil and gas industry for the last, you know, seven years plus now, it's still uh, full of high-energy uh, can-do uh, entrepreneurs. And, and, you know, long story short, that's why I'm here. Yeah, no, I I lived there for a few years at a university, and and the story I always like to refer to is you meet like a, you go to Joey's restaurant, you meet the waitress, she starts talking, she says, "Oh, I'm 25 years old, and I'm I'm on my third rental house." <laughs> you kind of go, "Wow!" Like people here are 
are revved up. And at, at 20, I, I remember thinking, wow, this place is is awesome and recommend for any young person to go there for a few years and, and get that. So let's let's dive right into sort of the meat and and utilize you for the time that that we've got sure. you. And again, uh I'm extremely grateful for the time that you've set aside for this uh this conversation. And and the conversation that you know I kind of want to bring together is the the person that has a business, it's successful. They uh, you know, are accumulating assets. And you know, a common question I get is, is a holding company worth it? So although you know, that's a very general question, what sort of three takeaways would you give someone to say, you're a viable candidate to start a holding company? Sure. No, I'm happy to address that. Uh, maybe I'll take it back just one step before that, Dustin. I mean, I get a lot of new entrepreneurs, startups, that say, should I incorporate? And, yeah. and you know, the usual answer is yes. And, and the reason for that is liability protection and um, access to lower tax rates, assuming you're, you're, uh, you're going to be successful and profitable. Uh, because, of course, many of you, many of your audience knows that the first $500,000 of profits, assuming your business uh, is in Canada, and the business is carried on in Canada, uh, then um, then you'll get the first five hundred thousand dollars of profits at a pretty low tax rate. In, in Alberta, it's about ten percent. Uh, in British Columbia, I think it's right around that as well. If I'm not mistaken. Well, Whereas the normal corporate tax rate can vary by province, anywhere from low of twenty three percent in my home province of Alberta to a high of about twenty seven percent. So that's a significant savings if you can ultimately get access to that. The downside, as I always say, to incorporate or not to incorporate, is that if you're going to be uncertain about uh, profitability and there will be losses, losses get trapped in a corporation. You can't take those losses and utilize them against your personal income. Um, so there's a bit of a trade-off when you're looking at uh, starting up. You know, should you, you know, if you're not going to be all that profitable then maybe you shouldn't have the carrying costs of a corporation. Having said that, you might enjoy the, the tax law, or sorry, the liability protection. So it's something to get good advice from, from people like yourself, corporate lawyers, you know, tax accountants like me, um, and, and ultimately come to the right decision. But fast forward to a successful business that's incorporated. You've already gone past that initial thing. Um, the next question inevitably is, should I have a holding company? And I'll tell you, the mythology around a holding company is, is extraordinary. And it always uh, kind of surprises me as to what the myths are out there, both in your profession, the accounting profession, and the legal profession, in terms of, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, you know, the benefits and the cons, the pros versus cons of a, of a holding company. And really, a holding company does absolutely nothing to save you tax. And when I say that emphatically to a lot of accountants and financial advisors and business advisors, they say, what? What are you talking about? I thought, I, I thought it saved me a bunch of tax. Nope, it doesn't. Because if you're already incorporated, you've already got the benefit of tax deferral at the low rates. Mm -hmm. And if you're actually generating investment income, as you know, Dustin, uh, investment income earned inside a, a, a private corporation can actually be more expensive from the tax side than it, if you hold it personally. And so 
it, if you accept that as, as, as truth, then what is the benefit of a holding company? Well, certainly not tax. It, it's, it's ultimately going to be creditor protection uh, or um, maybe, it, and really that's it, is creditor protection. Um, and so let me give you an example. Let's say you got a very successful business. Uh, it's accumulating a bunch of cash and you're accumulating that cash because you don't want to take it out and pay a bunch of personal tax. But you, that cash is at risk if the business fails, for example, or if there's liability. So what are you going to do with that cash? Well, if you only have a whole or sorry, an operating company, there's really nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. But if you insert a holding company into the shareholdings in some form or fashion, and there's numerous ways to do that, then maybe there's a tax-efficient way to extract that cash and put it into the holding company as opposed to uh, maintaining it at the operating company level. And there is ways to do that. And so in my view, that's really the only reason why you would utilize a holding company when you have an operating company is for liability protection of some sort. Um, Maybe the facilitation of future tax planning with your family to the extent that you can't do it at the operating uh, company level. But outside of that, a holding company will do absolutely zero to save you tax. And so one of the most horrible structures, though, that I often see within the accounting profession um, is a holding company owns 100% of an operating company. So you get the benefits of being able to extract the cash to the holding company. Well, what's what's why is that so bad, Dustin? I'm going to turn the tables here. Well, and, I, and I didn't it. want to get into the weeds of this podcast, but I'm as someone who's uh, this is I'm turning this into a selfish question that I'd, I'd love to know for myself. Uh, yeah, so turn turn the table, and I'll see. You. I'll put my <laughs> boxing gloves on and see if I need a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why do you think I don't like a holding company? And you're right; we shouldn't get too far in the weeds. But this is pretty <laughs> simple stuff in the whole scheme of things. So. You have a holding company that's owned by the family, for example, in some form or fashion, and the holding company owns 100% of the shares of the operating company. Why is that such a... Am I allowed to say shitty on your podcast? Yeah, oh, you swear all you want. Okay. Uh, why is that such a shitty structure? Well, I would say the lifetime capital gain exemption for... That, that's a big one, right? That's a, that's, and that's a big one. Because to the extent that you have a holding company that owns 100% of an operating company, the only way you get access to the, what is it now, $880,000 capital gains deduction on the sale of, uh, on the disposition of, of, of those shares is by selling the holding company shares. Who in their right mind is ever going to be able to sell a holding company shares with a bunch of cash and other passive assets like rental properties in it? Right. And so that structure, which unfortunately is still rather prevalent, needs to be reconsidered in most cases when you're dealing with a, a a successful private business owner. There's ways to get the benefits of a holding company without having that kind of shitty structure. So that's as far in the weeds as I'll get today. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think we're, we're, still, we're still in the, the, the shortcut of rough. But uh, so if, uh, if someone plans on not selling their business, like a lot of common small business in the Okanagan, at least, you know, you've got a business that's worth three hundred or 500000 and then yep. you have the property that they've bought to like operate their business is probably yep. worth three million. So you've got this situation where um, if a person doesn't think they're going to sell their business for that much down the line, 
And then they get this is kind of like uh, instead of having this crazy investment, you know, sacrifice everything now and for this retirement plan. What if you did go the whole co opco and you sacrifice not having the lifetime capital gain exemption, but for years of being able to just throw money up there and then invest in the whole co in a capital gain type investment? So that was, you know, I mean, something like that, Dustin, this is probably fine, especially if you're very confident that you'll never be able to sell the operating company for a material amount of money, then fine. You know, it's something like that where you push money up on a regular basis and then let the operating company die at some point, you know, down the road, fine. Because if you walk away with the valuable real estate and the cash and the other investments inside the holding company, it served its purpose. Right. So, at a but, cost every year of... Um you know, getting your taxes done. And if you got a loan in the yep. holding company, the bank wants financial statements every year, which that costs a bit more and legal. Um, is there a magic... Like, so... I just can't let this go for a second. <laughs> so in the holding company, if a person had, uh, you know, set up Holdco with... Uh, and I know we've talked permanent insurance before, but they've had a capital gain type investment in Holdco They've got a piece of real estate. I guess the rental income, even to themselves, would be fully taxable at a bad rate. So, what would be the best strategy? You know, if, if a person has a business that, say, at the end of the year, they've got three hundred thousand in their opco, they've paid themselves a salary, they've paid their wife, you know, some money, and then there's still three hundred k that isn't being reinvested back into the operating company. They don't need to buy more material. They're not hiring more staff. They're, everything's going good. And they say, I got this 300 grand. You know, traditionally, we'd send it up to Holdco somehow. Yeah. If it's, if it's a shareholder. So send it up there or do an intercompany loan, get it up there and then invest in real estate, stocks, whole life. And you kind of have this blended plan. But in today's landscape... So taxes are always changing. And that's, you know, that strategy is, you know, way back when we first did files together 15 years ago. But how how has it changed? Or what would be for that person, man or woman who's got a 300 grand pot of money? What what are they what are they you know where do they put it if they want to buy, let's say, real estate or stocks? Well, I think the objective is still the same, right? You would want to take that three hundred thousand dollars out of the operating company. For liability protection and for investment purposes, right? You, but if they uh, take it out to their person, yeah, then you're going to pay tax, personal tax, yeah. right? So, so the objective of using a holding company in that scenario makes a ton of sense. Now, do I think that you should have the holding company own 100% of the shares of, uh, of the operating company, like I've already commented on? In many cases, the answer is no. In, in a scenario that you've described where the operating company is never going to be sold and you're confident about that, okay, then that can work. But in most cases that we tr- that we deal with, you know, the operating company grows in value and, right. and you want to preserve that and you want to make sure that capital gains deduction availability is, um, you know, is preserved down the road. And so there's ways to insert the holding company into the shareholdings of the, uh, of the company without getting to that 100% level. And you know, I call it a triangle structure where you try to minimize the, the, the shareholdings of the holding company of Opco. And you can do that either directly or through a trust where the corporation, the holding company can be a beneficiary of a trust. So there's each scenario is different. And I hate to, you know, 
genericized like the Canada Revenue Agency always does, where they say it's a question of fact. But it really is a question of fact uh, on every single file. Mm-hmm. Is a holding company beneficial? If the answer is, or could it be beneficial? If the answer is yes, then let's take a look at the facts and the objectives of each of, of each uh, of the clients, and and we'll make proper uh, recommendations based upon those objectives and facts. Okay, so that thank you. I think that's important because that's that's a common uh, that's a common scenario I'm I'm bumping up against is the person who they've got you know their their money taken care of and, and they've they've got to do something with it and you know real estate yeah. you know the income is is high you know fifty thousand a year you start eroding the small business tax so we'll leave that uh, for now but one one thing that I think is important. Uh, a lot of the, the well-being stuff that we coach about uh, in in our financial plans has to do with mental health. And with a lot of business owners, we're, we're working with pre, the pre-sale of the business. So we're a couple of years out from the sale, three years, four years. We're helping them kind of get their thoughts organized, get their finances organized for the big event. Yeah. <laughs> and and those are those are emotionally charged. Conversations and you have a lot of penduling. That's uh, not even a word. The pendulum of of their head going. I'm going to sell. I'm not. You know, I got a rough offer. It's you know four times, three times earnings. I make that in three years. So why would I sell? I'm reasonably healthy. Right. Yeah. Uh, what would what would you say when someone's getting to the point where they're you know thinking about selling? Like, what are the top three things that when you've done transactions have led to the highest? Sales numbers. Is there three? If these are three top three things that you could distill, like three files you've done in the last year where they've sold their company, and it's you know maybe more than you thought was the usual. Was there any characteristics that are similar with those those files? Um, I would say each one is different, but a common objective, of course, is to maximize. After-tax cash, um, yeah, which again is a question of fact on each file. I'm working on a file right now. It's a it, it's a practicing dentist who's been in Calgary for you know practicing for 30 years. Loves what he does, um, and has a you know a decent lifestyle, and has used a lot of his earnings over the years to you know to buy some real estate and. Um, but also to travel around the world with his family. And so he's got a combination of hard assets and um, assets that, or, or sorry, yeah, um, you know, stocks, bonds, what have you. But is, his question when he came to me is, okay, I've got an offer on the table for seven times EBITDA. Well, <laughs> I'm not a evaluator, but I can tell you just off the top of my head, seven times is a pretty good number. Right. but. And so if you're, if you stand back from that, you know, a guy like me would say seven times, holy cow. Yeah, do it. But the, the bigger, the better answer is, hold on a second here. If you get, if you get that offer to the table and what's your after-tax cash. Okay. So your after-tax cash is going to be X. Can we make it better? Yeah, we probably can. So let's look at maybe adjusting the deal this way and that way. So we'll get it up. A little bit. Uh, so now we've got the number. Is that enough to sustain your lifestyle? Because the fellow is about 64-ish now. Um, 
is that enough to sustain your 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 lifestyle that that you're accustomed to and want to maintain? Well, I can't answer that question. You know, that's yeah. what that's what people like you need to do and, and do do. And so we ultimately worked with his advisors because thankfully he had some pretty good advisors. And they're actually cranking out the mathematics right now and figuring it out. Looks like on an initial cut that it's going to be a little tight, even though on seven times, right? So that leads to some emotional decisions that people like me are not qualified to, to advise on. Yeah. Because ultimately it's, it's, it's things like, uh, you, you're more qualified to advise on it certainly than I am, but it's going to be, okay, how many trips do you want? Oh, you want three trips a year? You know what? Maybe, maybe you can only afford two. Do you want to do that? Oh, you don't? Oh, well, then maybe you need to continue working and forget the sale. Right. And, and that's literally an example of a file that we're working on right now. Uh, yeah. But every single file, Dustin, is in, in situation. I hate to use the word file uh, because it makes it sound like yeah, no, situation paper, but, or... Yeah, but it's different, right? So I, I would say that's one commonality is, does the after-tax cash meet their lifestyle objectives? And it, my experience is a lot of people haven't figured that out. And so it becomes an emotional decision. The, mm-hmm. the other common objective, or sorry, uh, commonality that I see, and unfortunately I see this too often, mm-hmm. is a person jumps at the seven times offer, for example, and then all of a sudden has a pot of cash, but then they don't know what the hell to do with it. Yeah. You know? And um, and then all of a sudden their health declines and they're dead you know, <laughs> shortly after. <laughs> and it's, I, I can't tell you how often I've experienced that in my career is, is people jump at, at, at the excitement of saying, oh, you know, I've had a good run. I love what I do, but I'm tired. Oh, this is a good offer. I'm mm-hmm. going to take it. But they yeah. really haven't thought through what are they going to do after? I'm working yeah. on a, a, another matter right now, where the fellow sold for gazillions of dollars, and this fellow is brilliant. Um, and uh, but he's struggling right now because he, he, number one, he doesn't know what to do with all his money, mm-hmm. and number two, he's, you know, he's he's used to being the smartest guy at the table. And so now he's being the smartest guy at the table with investment, tax, and a bunch of other issues that he's really not all that capable on. Yeah. But it's, and so I see that as well. It's okay. Have you figured out your life plan? In many cases, people haven't, which is it's surprising. You know, one of my biggest clients doesn't even have a will, notwithstanding I've told 51% of Canadians. Yeah, and I've told this guy probably routinely for every single month that I've known him in his life, which is a long time to get a will. Still yeah. doesn't happen. So, and then probably the third one would be, uh, and I see this all the time, which kind of relates to the second one, uh, second commonality is, you know, is when you're building your business, um, which I, I tend to see young entrepreneurs and, and middle-aged entrepreneurs continuing to build, build, build. But then all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they don't see or they haven't planned for succession. And sometimes it becomes too late. Mm-hmm. And, and so, all, you know, they become stressed and, and, and uh, you know, they, they race to a succession plan as opposed to some other ones that I've dealt with, which are rare. You know, they, they build succession plans almost right from the start. And I think that's, that's incredible. 
that's what I was was I was hoping you'd get there. Uh, you know, if if someone right now is you know forty, they're not really thinking about the sale. But no. as you know, I look at it, I think, well, if you start running your business like it's for sale now, then that's a better business, and then you're going to be more ready to do it. And it isn't, you know, whatever plan you lay out now is obviously going to change in the next twenty years. But at the same time. People scramble at the finish line. You know, we work with you know fifty-eight year olds going to sell a steel business. Scramble at the finish line. Oh, get all like clean up all that miscellaneous expenses that they spend in the business that is theirs but is questionable. And then they're reorganizing and they got to pay you know a huge you know or a, an accountant and a lawyer to reorganize because you know they got mixed up assets in there, and it's it's super stressful. Plus, you're you're trying to gauge. Uh, you know, is this right? Is this is this for me? And uh, you know, if they don't have a health scare, that's really usually that pushes things uh, over the edge. But uh, you know, on that point, you know, did, I can't recall if you if you're familiar with the strategic coach program. Are you? I am. Yeah, I used to study all. Thank you, Brent, uh, if you're listening uh, for all the. <laughs> Secondhand strategic coach stuff. So yeah, many years ago when uh, my old business partner was in it with you, who you know, yeah, uh, I would sort of once he did all his exercises, he would hand them to me in the binder, and they'd all have his pen notes, <laughs> and I would try not to. Uh, and I was just a young guy at that time. That was you know I was in my twenties, but uh, yeah. So well, fill me in why you're a 23 year strategic coach, and and give us a two minute on what strategic coach is because I think it's very important. Well, strategic coach is an entrepreneurial coaching program. I mean, of course, I have an undergrad degree in, in commerce. You know, a lot of people think that if they want to start a business, they either have to go get a business admin degree or, or after commerce or what have you. The truth is, those programs are great, but they don't teach you at all on how to be an entrepreneur. And there's no great entrepreneurial coaching program on, on that. Um, and so Strategic Coach does that. It gets, gets, gets you together with like-minded people and put real tools in your hands to be a better entrepreneur and a better person. And so the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is because 23 years ago, when I first got into it, they did this little exercise, which has always stuck with me. And do you want me to explain what that I, is? I, I'm hoping. I, yeah, I want you to do it. It's Okay. It, it, it's a tool called the lifetime extender. And I always do this with my, my clients. And uh, because it goes back to, you know, they don't have a succession plan. And so I'm going to do this little tool on you, okay. uh, Dustin. So give me a day and I'll, and I'll compare um, answers with uh, what I did 23 years ago. But so when do you think you're going to die? Give me an age. A hundred. hundred. Okay. And let's say your maker all of a sudden, just before you're about to die, comes down and says, okay, Dustin, uh, you know what? You're not going to die at 100. Uh, but you tell me how many more years you want to live. So what's that number? How many more years? 50. Okay, so you're going to die at 150. So tell me the five things that you're going to do in those extra 50 years. Just real quick, what's the, what's the top five things that come to your head? Skydive, drive a tank. Uh, I don't know, hang out at a cabin. Go to the water slide. What are we at? Five? Yeah, you're four, but I, I don't know. I'm, Play golf. That's just whatever came to my head. I'm getting the point. So 
mine were, uh, you know, they, they gave us more than 30 seconds to do this exercise. And so my five, but my, my age was 85 and my additional years were, uh, uh, 30. So 115. Mm-hmm. I know I had that wrong. Uh, 85 and 115. Yeah, no, I think I, I yeah, think I got right. that yeah. right. So anyhow, uh, and my five things were something along the lines of spend more time with family and grandchildren and and uh, travel around the world. You know the usual stuff. You're very yeah. similar to what you're saying, right? And so then they said, okay, everybody look at their list uh, of five things. The question is, why aren't you doing that today? And by the way, how many people have building a business on that on those five things? And virtually nobody did. I didn't have it on. Yeah. And so then you take it back and you say, why wasn't it on that list? Oh, because presumably your path to get to that was your business. It's provided the resources and tools and cash in order to do it. And so, hmm, if those five things, if you want to do those now, then you better find a way to, to maximize your business profits find a way that ultimately the business isn't about you. And then, and then lastly, find a way that ultimately you can uh, succeed your business. And that was a very, very powerful moment for me. Um, and so I can tell you in my practice, you know, turning the, the spotlight a little bit on me, that's exactly what we're doing in our business. Even though I'm fairly well known, uh, you know, in, in, in the tax world, at least anyhow, I don't want this business to be about me. I want to find a path to youngsters that can take this over so that ultimately I can do those five things and continue yeah. to do those five things because I have. And yeah. so very so, so anyhow, that's just a little tool that uh that always stuck with me. I I still use the uh in all new client meetings, the R factor question, which is yep. between now and you know, next year, we're sitting down in the same boardroom having coffee. What has to happen for you to feel happy with your progress? And it always people just go, I don't know. I I don't understand the question. And it's but it's such a great question that it just sort of recalibrates to like there's material things and there's things you want to get done. And and some people say, I want to, I want to be on a boat, I want to be playing golf. You know, so that gets your brain going. But I uh I appreciate the lifetime extender. And uh the other one I remember is the big bullseye with the 10x in it. And was stretching your mind to think ten times of you know what's your biggest goal? You think, oh, I want to make five million dollars. Well, ten exit, you know, and, yeah. and then work backwards from there. So, thank you for the uh, the plug on strategic coach. Because I'll think- just say one last thing on because you mentioned R factor. I have religiously used the R factor question. You know, we're sitting here, and it, it, I use three years. We're sitting here exactly three years from today, having a cup of coffee. Tell me the five things that have to have happened. Sorry, tell me the five things that have happened in your life in order to have made you happy, either personally, professionally, or both. So I ask that question to every single candidate that starts with our, you know, that comes for an interview with our first staff. Yep. Every single one, because I still do a lot of the interviewing. Okay. And uh, not, not for everybody, every single teammate. I can tell you about 60% of the candidates do something like this. Well, three years, eh? Well, in three years, I wish I had a house. Three years. Uh, whoa, we're not talking about wishes here. We're talking about what has happened. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. So, well, okay, okay, okay. Uh, on three years, yeah, maybe I'll be married. Well, <laughs> and they, and yeah. so, 
people have a very, very hard time thinking about what needs to happen and what must happen. Because if you can think of those five things, those are your goals. Totally. Right. And, and so with clients and building businesses, you know, unless you're in it to just buy a job and, and you're showing up every day, like it is just a job, then you should be able to articulate those five things that have to have made you happy or that have to have happened in, in, in three years. And, uh, and so I do that with clients as well. So just to digress. So I, and we're, well, this is the beauty of the podcast. We can go wherever we want. We don't have an agenda, but I think you bring up a good point of in your own world and business owners, you know, sometimes that same guy, that same guy that's, or woman that's got 300,000 of extra money, no life, they're saving. I'll say to them, well, why don't you just hire one more person? And usually I get one. You can't just find people all day long. But if you're paying someone 100 grand, you might be able to find a good general manager. And then you're only going to save 200. But if 200 meets your goals, if you could save 200 grand for you know 15 years versus 300, and you're still okay after 15 years, then who's to say you just save 200, hire someone for 100? And leverage you know, that so you get Fridays off and you get a bit of a life. So what are you doing right now with your team? And as you've kind of entered this new Kim Moody uh, you know, transition, what, you know, what in the last year has been working and can put a smile on your face in your practice, you know, specific to staff, technology? What is it that's given you more bandwidth to be on a podcast like this? That's a great question. Um... Especially since I gave you a little lecture on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> turn around on me. I like it. Um, so what have I done? Well, I've really thought hard about where are we going to be in three years and, and what do we need to be in three years in order, like in a worst case scenario, if I died, for example, or if I just announced to the team that, all right, everybody, I'm retired. <laughs> uh, what do I need to have happened in order to ensure that the business continues? Um, and so... The first step that we did was to build a three-year strategy plan, and, uh, and so and we've instead of it collecting dust, it actually sits on the side of my desk here, and I look at it every single day, and and make progress on it with our teammates. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we've done is to um, look at where the holes are in our firm, and you know, is it. We are well known for being a tax law firm and tax accounting firm, but are there other areas that our clients need that we could be ultimately providing? And the short answer is yes. And so as part of the strategy plan, we've executed on a number of different things another, uh, and added a whole bunch of talent uh, to, to uh, get there. For example, trust the state law we've added because people need their wills done. They need their trust uh, uh, done. Um, and so we've added extraordinary talent in that area. So the more talent you add, the less it becomes about Kim Moody and mm-hmm. more it becomes about the firm. And that's the sign of success, right? Um, uh, in my view is that if the, that's my sign of success is that ultimately if I could step away and do what I really enjoy doing my unique ability, which I think is, you know, speaking and writing and marketing and, and, uh, you know, saying to, to clients, hey, have you thought of this? Are you aware of these changes that, that are coming down? Because I love to keep up to date. Yeah. Uh, and, and so if I can practice in my unique ability, then, then ultimately uh, that, um, you know, that'll keep me more engaged uh, for the long term. So the long story short is uh, we, 
built a strategy plan, we've executed on it, and we've taken away crap from my day-to-day plate, which better people can do. Yeah. So, was that uh, obviously that's more expenses? Uh, you know, as the leader of the firm, was there any fear around hiring more people, adding a new division, and taking money out of what your savings is? Oh, for sure, for sure there is, right? But it's like you already mentioned. If you can ultimately take a risk, um, a logical risk and a calculated risk, uh, so that you can get the leverage you want, then beautiful. And that's what we've done. And I would say probably seven times out of ten, the calculated risk works. Three times out of ten, it doesn't. Yeah. And but you learn from it. And I'm not afraid to fail, right? I mean, a lot of people are so afraid to fail. Uh, I, I could fill a book. Uh, you know, the, the size of this room on all the failures I've had. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be a whole other podcast. But uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> one question I have about the strategy plan, is that something you wrote yourself or did you engage a consultant for that? We um, engaged a number of consultants to help us um, because we wanted to be very well-rounded and, and make sure that ultimately we're just not selfishly... Um, you know, it, uh, just doing navel gazing. We wanted people to really ask the tough questions, uh, stuff that if we hadn't engaged the consultants, you know, we probably would have just never uh, addressed because it's the tough questions that ultimately get you to some progress. Uh, Can you remember a tough one? Well, you know, the, one of the tough ones is how do we get rid of Kim Moody? <laughs> right. <laughs> And that's sure. a very simple question, but I can just start to daydream about the, all the nuances there for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but, for the stress for other people too. Yeah. I mean, when you build a business and if you build it around a personality or build it around an individual and all of a sudden, you know, the team gets scared that that individual is going to be gone, you know, will the business survive? And there's no shortage of businesses like that, right? Mm-hmm. A painting company. Well, what happens if the main painter dies? Yeah. You know, um, uh, what happens if Dustin dies? Is the business still around? Yeah. So, so that was the that was the big one. Yeah, and there's a number of other ones as well, which actually led to uh, to us uh, making some firing decisions. You know, right. certain certain people were not the right people, even though we, they they contributed greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, those are really tough things. So, my short advice is. Don't do it yourself. Hire some qualified uh, consultants um, because you'll get a much better result. My final question: uh, you, You've obviously, you know, the, we could probably do a whole other podcast on success and leadership, but I, I do want to give give people a little. You, we've understated your your history and your acumen and and the effort you've put towards the industry. But you, in 2016, got into law school. Is that? Fact. <laughs> That's true. Yep. And <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you can tell me a story. I was hoping you'd have a story there that uh, you know not only you're uh, you know well designated accountant and tax advisor. Why why law school or or is that a when you're 85 to 115 project? <laughs> it may be because uh, I so so here's the story. Um, so I always wanted to be an accountant. You know, my my mom and dad kind of instilled that in me. And my first career choice was to be a music teacher. 
because uh, mm. I love music and I was pretty good at it. I got the grade 10 piano and, and I was, a, you know, the theory of music and the history of music. I just ate up and I loved it. And I was always pretty good at math. And, and of course, music is virtually math, right? So, and so it's kind of tied together. So, uh, but when I realized that I was good, but not that good to make a living, I, <laughs> I switched gears to accounting and, um, and I loved accounting. But I realized as I, as I uh, progressed in my early, early career that I wanted to have my own practice. But I was fascinated by tax uh, because tax is very complicated. Um, I, I was fascinated by it. But as I advanced, I realized that, holy, holy smokes, tax, even though it's dominated by the accounting profession, it's really practicing law, right? Okay. Because when you interpret statutes, that you're practicing law. And it yeah. intersects with a whole other infinite number of areas of law like trust the states and corporate and business and and you know securities laws and it, 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 and so so as an accountant you're kind of handcuffed by not understanding those areas of law so 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 early on it became my goal to go to law school but then as a you know as my wife and I built our family and and uh, kids started to dominate activities and you know build a bigger house and <laughs> bigger practice and you know just time slips away and so um in uh 2014 christmas time i said to my wife on boxing day as a matter of fact i said you know what honey i think i want to i think i want to go to law school and she she's always a big cheerleader of mine she said yeah well then better go write the lsat and so i thought okay so that boxing day i went out and bought some lsat study books and I registered for the LSAT for the February 2015 write. And I thought, uh, and so I started doing some practice things. I didn't do so well on these practice things. And, and uh, so then I thought, well, I'm a smart guy. I'll do well. So took a <laughs> took some weekend prep courses in January and didn't do so hot. <laughs> so, so I thought, holy man, maybe I better not write this thing. Um, but I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do it anyhow. So I, so I showed up. And I got my marks in March and I was in Vegas when I got them with my wife. And I, uh, the mark I got was so shitty. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm known to be a smart guy. Like I, I know I'm a smart guy. <laughs> so yeah. what, what happened? And so, so I said, well, I guess like there goes my law school uh, dream. But then I, I'm a very competitive guy. And so I thought, screw that. I'm going to try this again. I'm going to do it right this time. So I hired a tutor. Guy was amazing. Showed up in my office at six in the morning for three days a week for six months Yeah, and, and helped me out. And then I wrote in October of 15 and, and I did much, much better. I mean, I didn't, awesome. hit it, I didn't hit it out of the park, but I certainly did much better. Yeah, And, uh, and then I thought, all right, I'm going to, going to apply. So I did got in. Yeah, to UFC, um, and uh, and so I was excited. And fast forward to August of sixteen, and I was um, they admitted me for part time, which was great because I needed that flexibility, which is pretty rare. But they yeah. allowed me to do that. And I was getting my uh, books, and my wife said, uh, "Are you sure you want to go to law school?" And I said, "Absolutely. <laughs> I think, of course I do." So then I get up the next morning, still noodling on why she asked me this question. And as a good husband, I thought, hmm, honey, why, why did you ask me that? And, and she, uh, 
basically in a nutshell was a little worried that I, I was biting off more than I could chew. With yeah. Growing, growing business, you know, big family, et cetera. So I asked my partners the same thing. They said that he, even though they encouraged me as well. So I took careful reflection and, and thought, you know what, this is probably more of a vanity goal. Even though I really, really like studying, yeah, I, I can do this later. Yeah, so, well, that's I, oh man, there's uh, we're almost uh, ready to wrap up, but I I, I think that uh, we could have a whole podcast on entrepreneurs and uh, reaching your hand in the jar. I don't know what it's the kid in the hazelnuts or something in the jar, and you <laughs> grab a handful and you can't get your hand out. Well, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, having but said that. That's the reason why I didn't go to law school, but it is it's, it's still a dream of mine, but maybe my second life. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be uh, I'll be cheering you on as well. So a final question uh, that I ask everybody is, you know, what is Kim Moody's ultimate picture of wealth? You know, given the my answer a year and a half ago, pre-COVID would have been very, very different. You know, um, it would have been the usual, uh, you know, I would have picked a number of wealth. I would have picked, you know, a house here, a house wherever, you know, some some monetary stuff, right? But the last year and a half is really, uh, and given some incidents that that have happened in my firm as well, and you know, I think a happy Kim Moody is somebody that uh, whose mind is at ease, is at peace, is not constantly, um, you know, the mind is not constantly noisy. I found a way to keep it quiet and, 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 and ultimately happy. So all the same mental health being, uh, you know, positive. And I, and I think, uh, I think the last 18 months has really shown a lot of people that mental health, uh, you know, keeping it, keeping it, uh, maintained and positive is, is a challenge. Um, and so today a happy Kim Moody is somebody that can find peace and solitude, uh, with my family. And, uh, and that's certainly what I'm working towards. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate our time today. And I, I know that you did a workout this morning and that helps your mind. Is there any other tips, uh, you you've got for the, the practicing hard charging professional, uh, on how to keep, uh, how to keep your life balanced, either nutrition, fitness, uh, uh nutrition and fitness and mental health awareness is that, but I think a hard charging professional, you know, do the life extender exercise, but do it properly. Mm-hmm. Pick your, you know, pick your date when you think you're going to die. Oh, you get a free pass in terms of extra years. What are you going to do with those extra years? Five things, yeah. and then reflect on that when you uh, those five things. And I, I almost guarantee it's not going to be uh, extra hours in the office. Yeah, well, I and think that's a great place to to finish off, Kim. And I know we, we've got lots of stuff that we could have another podcast. So I look forward to when that day happens. And again. Uh, me and the audience, super grateful to have you on. Thanks a lot uh, for popping on today. Thanks a lot, Dustin. Appreciate it. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.